Fable, pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. I'm Matt Henry, and today we actually have a nice short episode for you on parenting. Uh, we hope it will be helpful to you, and, and it's short on purpose because we want you to focus on practicing this so you can think about it and then also maybe apply it throughout the next week. So after this episode on parenting, we actually will do one specifically focused on discipline itself because it seems to be probably one of the most misunderstood subjects. And then we'll begin to focus on how do you parent a daughter or a son because you actually want to parent them differently. And after that, we'll go into the teen years. And at that point, we should be done. Bam. Bam. Yeah. But first, we want to answer some more questions. Again, let me tell you, every time we open up our the, the things that you where, where your questions end up, it, it encourages us because we see more and more people doing it, and we really, really appreciate it. And some of you have asked some tough ones. Yeah, there um, are. In fact, one, I'll just tell you up front because we were talking about just off mic, whatever is the right word. Uh, but we had a very good question regarding some children. If you have children who are autistic, you know, what do you do with that? And so we're also thinking about just getting out, getting away, if we, if we can find the time, where he and I can really talk at length about what, what do you do with, I mean, if you, you have a child who's born with Down syndrome, yeah, and he, right, right. he'll never be more than eight years old. What, what's that look like? So we actually are thankful for the person who sent that question in because it realized that's a whole section that we do want to talk about. So uh, we'll probably do an episode or two on that as well. So thank you again, folks, for giving them. Yeah. Uh, so let's just look at some questions here, deal with them, and then talk about appeals. Yeah, let me ask this one. So he, uh, this person asked, can you go over uh, thoughts or guidance on two things? Number one, Discipline for older children, what are best practices? Uh, my kids, half of them are too old for spankings, but there's still a need for discipline, punishment. I like the word discipline uh, on some sort. So what do you advise? Um, so let me, I'll just throw that one out to you first. Okay, so that that's a really common one. Um, first of all, I know the, we both know who's asking it, so we know his context. Um this is a real tough one. If you let's say you have older children and you have done no parenting of any sort, right? I mean, it's just rough. Um, we we've seen people who come to faith and and now they're brand new Christians and their kids are also showing up at church saying, "What just happened?" I mean, they they got teenagers. They've never darkened a ch church their whole life. They've lived with unbelieving parents, and next thing you know, mom or dad or both are dragging them to church and there's whole all sorts of challenges there so that that one you're going to have to accept the fact that you haven't had 14 15 maybe years of teaching these children they don't have a christian worldview in any way um if they've been in public school they've been inundated with a worldly philosophy a worldly kind of value system uh, you've taught them that you've modeled that in your life so 
part of that is you're going to have to show a lot of kindness, a lot of patience, and a lot of grace. Um, I would encourage in those situations, you sit down and have a lot of discussions with your older children about how things are going to begin to change um, and be ready for incredible pushback. Um, they're going to test you on every possible way. Um, and, and so right away as a young Christian or even an older Christian who's just not I'm not trying to be mean here. They just haven't been faithful. They never really gave a thought. Um, you have to accept the fact that it's going to be unpleasant, and you can't operate from fear. One of the most—would you agree with this, that one of the greatest sins parents do is that they parent out of uh, fear? Yeah. The yeah. what ifs. What if they hate me? What if this? What if they run away? I'm just going to tell you flat out that if you have a 16-year-old who's already rebellious and now you're trying to— corral that because you never did up to that point, you're going to have a fight in your hands and you may never during the next couple of years while he's in the home, you may never see any positive changes. Um, threats aren't going to help. Screaming at him is not going to help. And also establishing 5,000 rules. <laughs> you know, you're dealing with his heart. So what I would say is the first thing is model for that young man or young a daughter um, or a woman, what it looks like to be a godly parent. It, it just, where they actually realize that, wow, my mom just got, became a, what a Christian. I don't know what that means, but she's a Christian now. And I kind of like what that looks like. I like, I like, she's, she's kinder. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, she, so. They're going to see it in you and right. your character change. So if, if you, if you think about, okay, what do I do with, my children, you're missing the point. The first thing is you got to address you, and you got to really begin to rap, rapidly put on Christ. This is not time to be slowly, vaguely wandering around in your Christian faith. You need to put on Christ fully and, and own these things and put on um, what that looks like as a, a woman or a man. So my, my biggest thing there would be first start out with modeling for them what it looks like to have been forgiven— and then what does that look like, how I interact with my son? But you're going to have to set standards. You're not going to let the son now go out and get drunk because that's what you did when you were 16 and stuff. No. And so loss of privileges, stuff like that will, will happen. But if you only focus on the rules and how you can make somehow make him a Christian, you're going to fail miserably. Yeah. Um, show them Christ in your life. So having said that, now what about a Christian home, and you've been raising your children in a Christian home, and you've been faithful in that, but now you're starting to see they're heading into those teen years. That's that's a tough time because, remember, the goal of parenting is to raise them so they can think on their own, be godly, and eventually leave. And so they're hitting those teen years. They've gone through puberty now. Um, they're thinking on their own. They're, they're, they're now developing their own value system. So... Um, how do you discipline them? You're, it's going to be a lot more of rebukes and corrections, maybe loss of privileges. If, um, Like I had a situation with a child who just decided they, at this certain age in their teens, they were just going to push as hard as they could. And so I just began to uh, come stricter and stricter, and and the person began to lose more and more privileges. And my point was, look, you want to act like a child, or treat you like a child. And and so, if you want to stop acting like a child, then you and I can have good talks, 
and we can work these things out. We can talk about them, but, but you don't get to now that you're bigger than me or you're old, old enough that you don't get disciplines. That doesn't mean that you get to now just do whatever you want while you're still living in my home. And that helped. It was hard. It was still pretty miserable during some of those times of testing, but the older kids are now starting to express themselves and parents don't always make that transition in their own mind. So they still look at their 13-year-old like he's eight or three. And it's like, he's not. He, he's a young man. So talk to him like a young man. How would you like to be talked to? Uh, treat him like an adult because he actually is or she is an adult and, and reason with him. And, and, and um, by 13, 14, you're start, there, there's a situation like, they, hey, can I go camping with my friends? Um, and you don't like <laughs> that family or something like that. Instead of just saying no, you might want to just simply say, so why do you want to go camping? Do you think it's wise? Help them start working out. Uh, now, you still will ultimately maybe say no, but but now you're going to spend a lot of time talking about the why you're saying no. And it's not anything more than, look, sweetheart, I can't even get you to clean up your room. You're still a slob. You still, I have to wake you up. I have to literally physically drag you out of the bed. And now you want me to now trust you to go off and do something else. You've got to earn that trust. You've got to begin to act like a young adult. So that's up to you. What I'm going to tell you is here's the things I want to see in your life. Once you start showing those things on a consistent basis and you're doing it willingly, what you're going to find is that I'm going to give you more and more and more freedoms. Um, and that, and and but as long as you don't, these disciplines are still in place. You don't get to stay out. Uh, you don't get to drive. You don't. You know. Does that make sense? Yeah, yep. Uh, so it's it's a little bit more subtle, a lot more talking. It's actually a lot harder. You'll wish that they were little again, uh, even though when they were little, you're like, man, I wish these kids would grow up. It's actually a lot harder to parent those teenagers. But we're going to be doing some uh, episodes on that. So yeah. Uh, second question he asks is. Uh, Courting and dating, how do we teach it? My wife and I are in new territory with our children getting older. <laughs> We're going to um, not answer that because our plan is to devote some episodes to th- an episode or some episodes to that topic in probably and of itself. Yeah, several. That one probably requires some more. So he also asks, if your child is disobeying in front of both parents or even out of sight when both parents are home, as a parent whose responsibility is it to discipline that child, mom or dad, whoever can get words out of their mouth first to correct the child. Um, we've answered that one, yeah. I think, several times. It's always on the father. Yeah. Um, if he's able and he's there, um, he should always be the one first and foremost to jump into that and uh, deal with those issues. At the same time, though, I mean, it's not like the wife has sinned. No. If no, she no. sees the son being disobedient or something, says, Buddy, stop that and do it now. And but the husband should be quick to be right there with her and saying and taking over that. Right. Uh, so she sees it. She says because she's probably with the kids all day long. So it's going to be instinctive that she's going to do it. it the temptation is going to be for the husband. Then there's a huh, let her deal with it. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> and therein lies the real problem. Sure. The father has checked out. Um, so fathers own it. Just understand that's your responsibility. Um, and it's also really important to always emphasize to a child that you're not the good one and mom's the mean one. 
um, whatever your wife is doing with regard to standards in the home, they're supposed to be your standards. So a thing I said to all of our kids over and over again was, when you disobey mom, you are disobeying me. And you know what it's like when I see you disobey me in front of, right there in front of me. Um, you need to understand that when you do that to mom, it's the same thing. And so uh, you want to constantly drive that home is that all your wife is, is she's reflecting what you as a husband has set for standards. So the simplest answer is what you just said. Yeah. Guys, get off the couch and and if she starts to do it, take it over from her. Say, honey, I got this. And watch, if you're faithful in it, you'll watch your children say, man, I wish mom was doing it. <laughs> um, uh, but let them see the father's disapproval and correction and rebuke and, and discipline. Yeah. Simple as that. Yep. Uh Another question is, how do you address heart issues and sin issues with very young children, two to three years old, in the way that they can understand? Again, we've done that one uh, several times now. Uh, the goal at that age is to get them to simply hear your voice, and so you're, you're training them, disciplining them, or training them to do that, so that as they get a bit older, now you can be, begin speaking into the heart and those kinds of things. So. It, it should be quick. It shouldn't be a long, drawn-out process. Simple discipline will do, and then move on. Yeah, don't. You're not a two-year-old's not going to be getting abstract concepts. So don't read them, John Owen. <laughs> Mortification of the flesh. You know, yeah. <laughs> you kill the kid. <laughs> um, and don't and don't teach them to tune out your voice as a little boy because you're trying to quote unquote get to their heart. Um, the simple fact is, they took the cookie. They weren't supposed to have the cookie. That's wrong. You can call it sin so that you start attaching uh, these terms, these more abstract terms there. But all they know is they didn't do it or they did it. They know they're not supposed to, and now they got a discipline. So once they hear your voice as they start to get older, so you got an older daughter, what, mm -hmm. four or five? Yeah. And so she now you're starting to get a little bit more abstract. You're now right. addressing your heart. But little Levi, just no touch. <laughs> it's just <laughs> that simple, buddy. No touch. Well, <laughs> As he then goes and touches, and he's like, okay, well, what do we get now? Uh, <laughs> Levi, come here. What? No. <laughs> you say yes, Papa. Um, <laughs> it's so true. Oh, potty training. Do you have to go potty? Yes. Run! And what? Oh, my gosh. How hard Never is mind. this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Somebody get me a rag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Quickly, just last question we'll do here. If a pastor if a pastor has no children or wife, what can he do to properly counsel parents and spouses? If marriage and parenting are foreign to the pastor's life, does this disqualify him from giving counsel in these areas of no. life? <laughs> yeah. Um, no. Well, she has, if marriage and parenting are foreign, I'm assuming she means experientially foreign. Yeah. Uh, but... The concepts and the principles should not be foreign. Yeah, to the him. command is still in the scripture, right? And he should be able to, and needs to be able to speak to those things. Now, he's not going to be able to give necessarily uh, examples from his own experience right. or what he did, how he applied things in specifics. But he he should understand and be controlled by those biblical principles right. and those he has to teach. He has to speak right. on those. So, no, he's not disqualified at all. Um, but again, a wise pastor is also going to recognize, you know what, this is something I just have no experience with. Right. So, but Joe over here, he's just done an incredible job. Why, let's go talk to Joe or something like that. So, yeah. no, not disqualified, but again, a wise pastor 
is going to recognize yeah, I mean, his Timothy, limitations. Timothy was not married. Um, yeah, and, and he, had, he was a young man too. Yeah, and but he was to carry out all those apostolic commands of Paul. Yeah, in fact, he had a tough job because it's like here he is a young man. That culture, the young man doesn't have a voice, and he's now telling this church, "This is the kind of elder." According to the Apostle Paul, you must be, and and he's Paul, who also was single. Yes, and so <laughs> even though I think it's uh, Joshua Harris or not Joshua Harris, um, doesn't matter. Um, there's been a recent revival of people who argue that he was yeah, uh, yeah. married and maybe she had died or something like that. But regardless, it doesn't matter. Um, the thing is that here he was as a young man and he had to speak to older people. Mm -hmm. And that, and you find that you're in your 30s. I came into the pastorate in my 30s. And so I had people who just said, well, you haven't lived enough. And it's like, I haven't lived enough, but the scripture's still true. Yeah. And what you're doing is sin. And so we're going to deal with that. We're going to talk about it and we're going to work this out or you're going to face those consequences. It, you're, you're never disqualified from what the scripture, from teaching what the scripture clearly says. So hope that's helpful. Uh, so now let's get into our episode. The topic, as we've already mentioned, is that of appeals. Uh, what happens if you make a decision? And you don't understand all of the facts. And that happens, right? Um, maybe it was done in haste or it was done due to uh, your own impatience. You, you, you're, you're in a hurry. Um, but regardless of the per reason, the decision or the command might need to be reconsidered. That's very common as for parents. Simply put, parents are not perfect and they need to create room for the child to make appeals. So how is that done? Well, it's very important how you do it. So we want to jump right into that. And again, a short lesson, very practical, hopefully. So a, a quick lesson on how to do appeals. Simply put, you want to give the opportunity for appeals as the child gets older. That's very important that you hear that as the child gets older. So this even goes into some of the questions of, as your child is older, how do you discipline them, deal with them? Because you will find that it will bring a measure of fairness and clarity in your relationship with the child. They realize that it's, it's being built upon trust. Uh, and they'll, you, the child will begin to trust you more and more as they realize that you're actually for them not for your own comfort. Too often, parents make a decision. It was a hasty one. And then somehow they foolishly think they have to stick with it. It's like, look, if you made a stupid decision, repent and even tell your kids, uh, that was dumb. Never mind. Uh, let, you know, it, everything's fine here. It, you have no idea, perhaps, how powerful that can be to your child when they realize, oh, mom and dad make mistakes too. And mom and dad just showed me how to fix a mistake. How, what do you do when you make a, a, an unwise choice? So no parent should ever assume that he's always right or always understands a situation to its fullest. In fact, one of the quickest ways that you can create exasperation or anger, something that's forbidden of parents, the quickest way you can create those things within your child is by being so rigid that there are never times that you allow your child to give you additional information that may cause you to rethink or reverse or modify your previous decision or command. This process of appeals then gives your child a clear way 
to address what he at least perceives as an injustice or something that is unfair or or maybe unreasonable. And and all of you can just think back in your own childhood. Surely there was a time where you're like that that wasn't fair. Uh, it, Mom didn't understand. And that, so what we're trying to do is show you a way you can do this that's wise. Uh, so using an appeal process also gives the parents a, an opportunity to even discern the maturation process of their child, which is a huge tool as you raise them because you always are wanting to be thinking about how is my child doing? Okay, they're now age 10. Um, where are they at? How Are they growing? Are they moving in a direction that we're pleased with and we're encouraged? Um, the appeal process actually helps you observe those things. Really, often parents don't really know what's going on in the mind of the child because they never give the child a chance to express a frustration. Um, and often the child, as they get older, they just simply learn to shut up. They just, whatever, they just clam up. They go into that happy place that you know yeah, what I'm yeah. talking about, right? Yep. Where, okay, mom's yelling at me. I'll just sit here, say, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am, and then go off. Nothing has been changed because you've not created an environment where that child wants to even listen. Yeah, they're effective in getting you off their back. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And the parent thinks, okay, I, I, I told him. <laughs> it's like, you you told him nothing right. um, other than mom's yet mad and uh, I can ignore uh, sometimes it's due to hidden sins the child is keeping from the parents, which is always, always heartbreaking and actually very destructive in the end. But other times it's because they learn that mom and dad are not people they really want to talk to about life issues. Don't be that person. Don't be that child or that mom or dad where they're reluctant to come to you and say, hey, I like this girl. I, I'm attracted to this guy and... You know, I'm having feelings. You know, you want to be able to explore those and let them know that that's not bad that they like that girl. You don't just say, no, not until you're 18. It's like, well, <laughs> they're 14 and they're in puberty. They're supposed to be thinking right. about these things. How do you think about it righteously and, and lawfully and in a way that honors Christ is far more important. So an example of this would be a daughter likes some guy. He's, she's afraid to tell dad because he's going to ridicule her or yell. Uh, or a son uh, realizes that his dad never really has time for him just to talk. And he doesn't want to teach him things. Even when he does, and even when he does try, he, it's more worried about breaking a tool or something rather than learning a skill and just being with his son. Uh, seldom, if ever, does the dad probe with care and love the heart of a son. So when he is struggling in some way, he withholds it from the dad. And Folks, it's, it's terrible when you do that to your children, and it's going to bring you a world of heartache. So we're, we're appealing to you to think about this nature of appeals. But when you learn then to practice appeals, you can begin to earn the trust of your older children. They learn that you will give them a fair hearing, and your decision will show thought and care rather than convenience. But also, you as a parent can learn to listen to the child's reasoning, their argument, uh, their delivery, to see how they're growing in maturity and thoughtfulness. So it provides that springboard for more discussions over a meal or maybe on a trip to the store because you, you had a chance to say, hey, you, I want to talk to you about how you approach mom in that situation. What a great learning opportunity because you're not yelling at them. You're just having a conversation. You're, you're 
training them. So you get opportunities to praise them when you see them come with an appeal rather than just complaining or whining. Uh, You can praise them when you see them showing self-control, even though it's obvious that they're frustrated or angry. What, What I mean by that is you tell them, no, they can't do something, and you're 15-year-old is clearly not happy with that decision, but you see them wrestle with that frustration and come to you and say, Dad, can I appeal? Wow, you want to praise that. Even if you're still going to say no, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you want to praise that child because they brought themselves under self-control. They came to you with respect. They came to you in the way that you've allowed them. That's incredibly valuable stuff. And so you can correct bad thinking as well, yeah, thinking uh, uh, and reasoning uh, with an actual real issue. You're no longer talking abstracts. This is a real issue that they're struggling with, but they're not thinking well. Well, now we can work on that. So what we mean by this is that the child appeals and he maybe gives you a very selfish argument. Um, you can deny the appeal but then talk to him about why it was denied and how he could have approached the whole situation better. You might even decide to then tell him to try his appeal again. I did this with my children. They came in, they handle it really bad. And this is, I just say, all right, just stop. The answer is no. And but, but, stop. It's no. Now, let me tell you why, buddy. And you then tell him. Look, you came, you're angry, you're, you're demanding, you're not appealing. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a chance. Why don't you get yourself under self-control, and then let's try this all over again. Wow. You know, it's like, yeah. what a great opportunity. Now, he's going to make a choice, and you can see him. Okay, let's try this again. Hey, Dad. <laughs> he's like, all right, now you're coming to me the right way. Um, in other words, appeals create a natural learning space for you and your child. Yeah. So let us here just give you some simple rules uh, to hopefully make for effective appeals. And these are all given out of the context of uh, experience and sometimes learned even the hard way. But first of all, it must be made to the parent who is giving the instruction. Um, So don't allow your child to go to the other parent to make the appeal, uh, especially if that parent didn't hear the instruction. Um, That's just a common ploy um, by a child, and it must be met with, we would say, with swiftness and certain discipline. Um, And the reason for that is that the child's often attempting to play one parent off of another, which we've talked about. Um, That there violates the centrality of that marriage relationship. Yeah. In fact, one of the rules we had in our home was uh, with me and uh, Kim was I, I, we wanted to learn to ask the child when they came and asked, like if they came and asked me um, is to ask, have you talked to mom about this? Just to find out if they're now trying step two. Okay. You can't do it. So you always want to find out they're doing that. Yep. Um, second, we'd say that this appeal or any appeal must be done with an attitude of respect. Anytime a child responds in a wrong or a sinful way, again, you have to deal with that. Remember that the heart of the child is, is the issue in everything that you're doing. And so the child should be showing an attitude of meekness. Um, the attitude should be present because the child understands that the parent has the right to make that decision and the authority to overrule any appeal. Um, you know, so, so when they say, for example, you know, why can't I, or, but mom, or, you know, do I have to, these kinds of things, 
those are not respectful appeals. Uh, rather, those are challenges to your authority and point blank their sin. So therefore, they need to be rejected. Um, again, this is where you can then instruct the child and help them learn that there's a proper way that they should be comporting themselves. Um, third, the the appeal should then normally just be made once. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. know, if, if there's this an appeal and trust me, this one was born out of hard yeah, lessons. <laughs> absolutely. So they're offering additional information, right? Um, uh, and they're building an argument um, that the parent may not be aware of, and if it hadn't been known, may cause a different decision. Um, you know, that's not good. Um, no, no. Actually, it's the opposite. That that. If they come and they're trying to give you that additional information that you didn't know. Well, oh, yeah, in that case. Sure, right? sure, sure. Um, I'm thinking, I guess, in the moment, if yeah. you know f full well everything and, and they appeal and oh, you say no, and they're but now they're going to build an argument and then make a case and okay, marshal evidence. Gotcha. It's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not showing respect for the decision. And in fact, that's one that, um, you know, Naomi, um, she just likes to but why or ask really? she's just at that state really yeah. huh <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and and we'll make a decision and she'll she'll want to argue or something like that and our common our answer to her right now is what do you need to do and she now knows i she'll respond i need to respect the decision wow um excellent and, and that's what she says every single time when we answer that and how question. old she's four. four yeah yeah um but and, and that's how she knows she's yeah I've crossed that line again and I'm not respecting that decision so, um, it, you know it, so it's not a tool appealing it's not a tool for the child to use so that they can delay unpleasant activities either uh, and this is exactly what you're likely going to face when you first you know begin to use this process kids will see it as that great opportunity to to do something. Um, or to not do something, and you have to be prepared to, again, deal with that. Yeah. Again, this is a great opportunity to see the heart of your child and how they're growing in maturity. This is not a time to jump on them and yell at them. It, rather, it's simply a time to deny folly and weak appeals and to help the child learn why. Yeah, you don't just start screaming, oh, I told you no. It's, all right, well, buddy, it, you came to an appeal, but it's a, it's a bad one, and the answer is still no, but now let me tell you why. Yeah. Yep. Uh, the appeal process also is a privilege. Uh, understand that. And it can be revoked, therefore, at any time if the parent sees it to be necessary. So don't allow your child to exploit it by letting them appeal anything and everything. Um, one of the strange things about parenting is how often the mom or dad feels like once they've instituted something that they can't somehow, therefore, later rescind it. Uh, we would say you can receive anything that you want uh, because you're the parent and you're the authority. There's not injustice there. Yeah, um, you rule that home. Yeah, appealing here is it, it is a privilege. Um, so so let's say that you notice a large amount of appeals that start coming. Um, you know, assuming that you've warned the child of frivolous appeals, if if their appeal is not based upon sound or clear reason, then he should be disciplined in some way. Um, so you may choose to ground them. Uh, they may lose some privilege. Uh, an alternative is also just to simply suspend that appeal process for a period of time uh, and use that time as an opportunity to train them in some area of submission or respect of authority uh, or 
just the consequence of sinful behavior. Yeah, again, you always have the right to pull that and say, you know what, you're, you're abusing this. It's clear that you don't yet respect the what gift, what how precious this gift is, so you no longer get to appeal until we decide otherwise. You have absolute right, your mom or dad, you guys have incredible authority given by God. Yep. So the next one, the fifth one, would be that the child must first obey the command before they make the appeal. Uh, the appeal process is not a way for the child to not obey. If the son is told to stop what he's doing and go cut the grass, then he should say first, yes, sir. First, then if he wants to make an appeal, he can make the appeal, but he first needs to acknowledge your authority and your right to tell him, stop what you're doing and go cut the grass. So blurting out some reason why he shouldn't do it right now is not ever proper. This method helps then maintain the respect uh, and the obedience that a child is to show to his parents, but it also allows the parent to then change, again, a decision. If he comes back and say, yes, sir, but but can I appeal? And you hear, and you're like, okay, yeah, go ahead and finish what you're doing there then, and then go get the lawn. Great. Uh, by now, though, hopefully, you can see how this would translate into real-world experiences. Imagine if a police officer pulls you over, and we see this now all the time, and your attitude is is one of obedience and respect. Man, those police officers today, you, you got a good chance of being able to not get a ticket. Yeah. They, they just appreciate the fact that you're respecting them. You're not arguing. You're not truculent. You're not resisting. Um, the great evil is we don't train that into our children uh, or maybe in the workplace or school. What you're actually doing by teaching them appeals but also first-time obedience is you're learning, you're, you're helping the church, child learn how to function in society. So there you have it. A simple process as your child gets older to allow for appeals and a change of mind. Now we're going to say though, it's not for little ones. All they need to do is learn to obey the first time and every time. This is for as they get older, usually after four or five years of age. Again, there can always be exceptions as long as they're actually exceptions. So if you want to implement this into your home, then simply sit down with the kids explain the process and expectations, and then show a lot of grace at first so that you can encourage them to actually use the process. What we mean by this is we would say that if you have a teen and and you actually introduce this appeal process to them, and so this is the first time that he and you have ever tried it, then what you want to do is make every effort to grant him the appeal the first few times. So unless that the appeal that he makes is absolutely horrid or dangerous, you will do a lot more good by granting it than denying it because you're encouraging him to use it and, and you want him to see, oh, hey, it worked. Uh, that's all you're trying to do. Usually older kids approach this whole thing with a lot of suspicion. So reward them by being faithful. So let us know if this helps you out. Uh, keep sending in those questions. We hope that the series is really helping you uh, and encouraging you. Next, we're going to talk about specifics of discipline. And as, as we said, then uh, about how to parent older children and specifically the difference between raising girls versus boys. So until then, make certain to tune in, join the conversation. We'd love to hear your thoughts on parenting. Don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, review. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And tell a friend. Mm -hmm.